Welcome to Beyond Research, a podcast brought to you by Research Nova Scotia. Every year during the first week of August, countries around the globe participate in World Breastfeeding Week, not just to encourage breastfeeding, but to raise awareness of the different cultural and socioeconomic challenges to breastfeeding that caregivers face worldwide. Nova Scotia has its own challenges. Here in Nova Scotia, we have among the lowest breastfeeding rates in Canada. It's actually less than a quarter of infants who are exclusively breastfed to six months. This is Dr. Kylie Whitfield of Mount St. Vincent University. She's an assistant professor of applied human nutrition and lead researcher of the Milk and Micronutrient Assessment Lab, also known as the Mama Lab. Kylie's perspective is international. Her research on breastfeeding practices and culture span communities in both Nova Scotia and Cambodia. Today, you'll hear how her work is contributing to a global conversation that has impact on the health and well-being of caregivers and babies abroad and at home. Thank you for joining us today, Kylie. Thank you so much for having me. Kylie, can you tell us a little bit about the Mama Lab at the Mount and what you do there? Yeah, so I, I do like to talk about my research in terms of kind of the what of human milk and the how of infant feeding. So the what side is looking at the milk itself. And a lot of this research I actually do internationally. I'm interested in the vitamin content, specifically the thiamine content of milk. And that's because in Cambodia, we know that thiamine deficiency is prevalent among lactating mums, which can put their infants at risk of developing a potentially fatal disease called infantile beriberi. So that's international work that's really important. It's probably much less important in Canada, where we know most mums are taking a prenatal vitamin through pregnancy and often during lactation. It's just not a concern. The how of feeding is probably much bigger of a concern. And that's because the how happens in so many different ways in Canada. Um, You know, I've worked a lot in Cambodia, mums breastfeed at the breast. They do that usually for a few years, and they do that baby after baby. In Canada, mums are feeding at the breast. They're supplementing with formula. They're expressing milk and feeding that out of a bottle. And there's all sorts of things that go along with that. The cleaning of the bottle, the sharing of the feeding responsibility with other caregivers in the home. And so understanding that how of infant feeding is so important. And I think it's often glossed over. We talk about breastfeeding as the provision of human milk, but it happens in many different ways. You can pump that milk and feed it from a bottle, feed it from a cup, feed it from a spoon, feed it from a tube. You can feed at the breast. There's so many things happening. And with all of those different variations, the milk changes and the behavior around feeding changes. You have moms and families coming in and out of the mama lab all the time. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with these families here in Nova Scotia and and what their role is when they come into the lab? One thing that we're really interested in right now is understanding what's called responsive feeding. So in an ideal circumstance, Mums will be watching their babies as they feed and will be kind of looking for cues and understanding what that baby wants. Are they hungry? Are they full? Are they finished feeding? Do they want to play? And they'll be responsive to those cues. Wow. So like beyond the feeding itself. Exactly. And we're doing this both with breastfeeding and with feeding pumped milk from a bottle. I was really interested to learn that Nova Scotia has among the lowest numbers of breastfeeding moms in Canada. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And have you learned why that might be? 
I first moved to Nova Scotia in 2016, and this was one of the first things that I noticed. And I was kind of looking around town, looking around town, and I didn't see a breastfeeding mom for months. I had been living on the West Coast where breastfeeding is much more prevalent. Previous to that, I was living in rural Cambodia where breastfeeding is ubiquitous. You you always see moms everywhere breastfeeding. And so it was a bit of a shock. And there's a few kind of things going on. In general, Canada does not have great breastfeeding rates. So typically we measure breastfeeding rates in countries around the world by looking at the number of mums who are breastfeeding exclusively to six months. So feeding only human milk, no other foods or water. And that's the standard that we use around the world and the data that UNICEF collects. In many low and middle income countries, breastfeeding rates to six months are quite high. You know, in Rwanda, it's upwards of 90% of women who are breastfeeding exclusively to six months. When you come to high income countries, those numbers drop off. So Canada's rates are not great. About a third of women in this country will breastfeed exclusively to six months. When you go to, you know, the States or the UK, these numbers are extremely low. And so kind of in general, high income countries are not great at meeting that standard. When you look at Canada, there's a bit of a um, a gradient going from coast to coast. So we see the highest breastfeeding rates on the West Coast, and it peters off in its lowest out here in the Atlantic provinces. And so part of the work that I'm doing right now is trying to understand why that is. And we think that it's probably got a bit to do with um, history and also the culture um, in the Atlantic provinces. So from a historical perspective, Bottle feeding became very, very popular in, you know, the middle of the last century. Scientific mothering was huge. Of course, formula that came in a can had to be better than anything that mums could produce. So that's a a bit of the historical piece. But also culturally, I think people are less likely to feel comfortable breastfeeding in public and, you know, revealing themselves as some might think of it. Um, And so I think that might also have a bit um, to play. Sure. And I've heard a lot of rationales around various stigmas or even socio economic factors are those things that you'd be looking at as well or hearing from moms? Yeah, so Health Canada publishes data every few years kind of showing these sorts of trends. So we know, for example, older moms, moms who are partnered, moms with a higher socioeconomic status, so who are wealthier and who are higher, more highly educated, tend to breastfeed for longer compared to moms who are the opposite of all of those things. And so it's, it's not rocket science. It, it kind of makes sense. Usually moms who are partnered means that they have more support at home. Maybe they have another income in the house and so they don't need to return to work. Um, less stress around poverty and food security. There's many things at play here that feed into that. But those are kind of the, the major trends that we see across Canada. Right. So interesting. Ultimately, what are you hoping your research impacts for Nova Scotian families? I did a really interesting study with one of my students, Kathleen Chan. We collected the data in 2018. And we were wondering exactly this. What is happening in Nova Scotia that's leading to these poor breastfeeding outcomes? And we wondered, is it education? And what we overwhelmingly found was that people know breast is best. That public health message is loud and clear. What seems to be missing is the supports to actually allow for breastfeeding to happen and for not just breastfeeding, but all of these infant feeding behaviors. So the first thousand days is a critical window for feeding of young children. We know that breastfeeding is a major part of that kind of package in the first two years, but we know that it also includes things like introducing iron-rich foods starting at six months. You know, when do you start introducing cow's milk instead of just having breast? 
breast milk and all of these different things. And I think that potentially we've been focusing so much on breast is best that we haven't been getting into the nuances of this whole package of infant feeding. And also people don't really know why breast is best and they don't really know how to actually breastfeed. And so I think more than education, what I really hope to do with my research is to better understand the supports that are needed to allow for families to breastfeed and breastfeed successfully to their own goals, knowing the whole package of recommendations to two years. Right. It's funny you say that is having been a new mother, you know, seven years ago now, you you do know you hear those messages loud and clear from, uh, you know, your nurses, your doctors, breast is best. But you rarely hear beyond that first six months or that whole notion of that first thousand days and making sure your baby's set up for success um, beyond just breastfeeding. So I, I thought that was really, really interesting. And I think definitely something we can build upon in our hospital settings. And I know now, given, you know, we're, we're currently in a global pandemic, you're not in your lab right now, unfortunately, but you haven't been wasting any time and your research interests have shifted to COVID-19. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that study and what you're doing right now? Absolutely. So this study grew out of a conversation with my graduate students when we were all in our own homes, we would touch base via video conference once a week. And we every call, it would come up at some point, you know, how are you doing? How are you coping? And then one of the students would inevitably say, I wonder how moms are doing. And so, you know, the second or Not third good, time. Kylie. Yeah. <laughs> Not good. So the second or third time that this question came up, like, I wonder how families are doing right now. We thought, well, let's ask them. And we were so lucky to receive funding to actually do this study really well. And so we collected data from families. It was an online survey that was open for four weeks, kind of at the heat of the pandemic. And so we collected data from mid-April through mid-May. And we just asked moms, okay, what are you feeding your babies? Has what you've been feeding changed? Have you changed the frequency or the amount that you're feeding? Are we talking just about milk? Are we talking about solids? And we pose these questions in a very open-ended way to caregivers who were taking care of a child that was younger than six months. We're just going through and still analyzing the heaps of data right now. Um, But I think the main takeaway from what we've learned right to date is that mums are extremely resilient and extremely flexible. There's some really interesting cases of, um, you know, some mums are pumping less because why would they pump and put tons of milk in their freezer? They're not leaving. They have nowhere to go. Other moms are pumping more because they want to stockpile in case they get COVID-19 and they need to be away from their baby. Um, Some formula feeding moms are stockpiling formula. Other formula feeding moms are trying to access supports to relactate, to try and have, have a supply that's not reliant on going out to the grocery store or ordering online. It's really all over the map, but moms are being really flexible with try, trying to deal with this pandemic. I can't imagine adding that on top of what we're all all dealing with already. And moms are resilient. I guess it'll take more than a global pandemic to get us. But that's really fascinating. Things I wouldn't have necessarily thought that people were thinking about. 
it's it's interesting. The the support piece is huge, and that's something that's shone through in the data that we've been able to analyze so far. There is some concern about um, regular health care. And so moms were reporting concerns about not getting their regular postpartum visits and being a bit unsure about how they were doing. Their regularly scheduled baby visits were canceled. So they don't, you know, there's a bit of anxiety around, is my baby gaining enough weight? Those sorts of things. At the same time, moms are saying, yeah, so I'm meeting with moms online now instead of, you know, in the local community center. That's fine. And so really, there's the whole spectrum of um, dealing with this new reality. That is so funny because there are all these little things that you take for granted as a new mom. You just know that you're going to go basically every week or two for some sort of a checkup or public health is going to call you for some sort of a, a question or follow up visit. And and thinking back, like that would be really intimidating as a new mother not to have that support mechanism in place. I will say I feel that part of the reason why breastfeeding rates are so high in Cambodia, in, in part really, is because you see breastfeeding. You it's It's normalized culturally, but you also see the mechanics of how the baby goes to the breast and what a good latch looks like. In Canada, we don't see women breastfeeding. And so I feel that there's a, a challenge here with really understanding what a good latch looks like. What? How do you hold your baby in a comfortable way? And I think that that's exacerbated during the pandemic because the normal supports, you know, public health nurses coming into your home or going to see public health nurses at mom and baby groups, you're not seeing other women breastfeeding. And if you don't have someone in your family bubble who has experience or can say, oh, just, you know, shift him a little bit to the left. Oh, yeah, that that looks great. You're missing that piece, which, again, brings it back to we need supports. We need a better culture of breastfeeding support in public so that women are breastfeeding in public, so that kids see moms breastfeeding in public. It's, it's a real cycle. And I think the more we see breastfeeding, the easier it's going to become. The more we normalize it. Exactly. I, I think, unfortunately, usually when we do hear or see these stories of breastfeeding in public, it's negative. And I would imagine this could be quite deterring for new mothers. And have you heard that from new mothers as one of the reasons why they struggle with breastfeeding? In, in the COVID survey that we did, that was one piece. Interestingly, again, we had a flip side to that. Um, I, I remember one mom said, I feel the guilt is off my shoulders. I don't have to leave the house. I can lock myself in my room with this baby and we can figure out breastfeeding together. And there's no expectation that I leave, which is... That's really... It's yeah. interesting, right? And so I think... I, I think we really collected some rich data that's unique to this emergency, but has implications for wider learning as we're trying to understand infant feeding in Nova Scotia. Very interesting. Have you studied male ca- caregivers and have you looked at the differences when men are feeding their infants versus moms? We have a little bit and we've opened it up to have other caregivers provide input, but it hasn't. We haven't had the same uptake. So in the COVID study, we asked for any any primary caregiver of an infant under six months, 99% of our respondents in that study were mothers. We only had 1% that were legal guardians, um, dads, or other parents. And so we didn't have much feedback to take in that study. Most, you know, literally 99% of the responses came from moms. And I imagine for for families who have infants who maybe there isn't a mother in this scenario. Like you said before, you hear all of these things about breast is best, breast is best. But if breastfeeding isn't even on the table, 
then how do you reframe that first thousand days in a way that you still feel like you're giving your baby the very best? Absolutely. And there's all sorts of reasons why people might choose not to breastfeed or might not be able to breastfeed. And so I think, you know, the breast is best has been the slogan for so many years. I think it might need a bit of an update. Um, There's a lot of shame and stigma associated with infant feeding. On one side, you know, there's potential stigma associated with breastfeeding in public and exposing yourself when we know that when you're breastfeeding, you really can't see much. And so, How dare you? So, so there's that side of the thing, but there's also shaming happening when you pull out a bottle. I was on the receiving end of that. My daughter ended up in the NICU and that was just the reality. And I didn't see her for the first couple of days because that was what my situation was. So by the time we met, she had already been bottle feeding and I just assumed that that's what I needed then to do. But I still remember being in mall food courts and getting those stares from moms who were breastfeeding or, you know, in the mommy groups because there is that stigma. And I felt ashamed to pull out a bottle more often than not when I wasn't in my own living room. Exactly. So you're shamed. You you feel stress around this and you don't feel adequate if you're breastfeeding, if you're bottle feeding. Some moms will pull pull out a bottle of pumped milk, but then make it very clear like this is breast milk. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, I've been at those Why mommy groups. We, right? Why are we it's doing this to moms? It's hard enough yeah. to be a new mother and we do it to each other. And uh, it would be just so wonderful to see that go away and everybody just support each other. Exactly. I think all of this research for me is to bring it back to supporting families to do what they want to do. We know that breastfeeding initiation rates are extremely high. More than 90% of moms across Canada and actually around the world will start breastfeeding, but then they fall off before they reach that six month kind of milestone of exclusive breastfeeding. So what is happening between, you know, day one and month six and, and what can we do to support moms that if they want to continue how do we support them? If moms want to transition to bottles, how do we support them? So one study that I'm working on is trying to understand responsive feeding in different cultures. In the Halifax area, I'm video recording moms who are breastfeeding their babies, but also feeding their babies pumped milk from a bottle. And I'm also moving to Cambodia and videotaping moms in Cambodia who are breastfeeding their babies. And so we're going to do this cross-cultural analysis. And this is really for bi-directional lessons learned. Is there something that Cambodian moms are doing that's really great? You know, the mom's really sensitive to her infant cues or she's really great at picking up on when the baby's full and she stops feeding. Is that happening in Canada? Maybe there's some way that that responsiveness is shining through among Canadian mother-infant pairs that could be really helpful and we could bring those lessons to Cambodia. And one really interesting thing is that we've re- we've learned that this tool that we're using to code the videos is definitely a North American tool. And so there's there's certain things that you're supposed to look for, gentle touch, eye contact, things like that. In Cambodia, that's just not a cultural norm. Um, you know, mums will caress their babies in very different ways. And it was interesting because I had to kind of say, oh, okay, so the way that she's kind of slapping her baby right now, that's normal. That's showing love. Oh, that way that that mom's kind of whispering weirdly to her Canadian infant, that's normal. That's the way that she's showing love. And what I thought was going to be this kind of very easy bi-directional lessons learned between Cambodia and Canada is actually more of just a cultural awareness piece that I think might be really helpful in supporting newcomer moms in Canada. Because if breastfeeding is shown and responsiveness and and kind of 
love during feeding um, is shown in different ways in different cultures, then healthcare workers and support workers in Canada need to understand that and need to kind of ask moms, what's normal? How do you do this with your baby? What what would you do at home? What what did your mom do with you? Things like that to try and support their breastfeeding culture here in Canada. So I think the research that I do, I try to take a really pragmatic look at what do people want and what can we do to provide evidence to support them in the best way possible. Thank you so much, Kylie, for joining us today and sharing a little bit about your research and all the important work going on at the Mama Lab. So thank you so much. Thank you. find out more about this podcast and the research featured in this episode, visit researchns.ca. I'm Reese Waters, and we will see you next time.